I know. I was thinking the same thing. I couldn't decide if I wanted tea or water, so now I have both. Maybe I'll put this down here. <laughs> it's a little distracting. Good morning. Come, join us. Join me. So before I start talking, um, I just got new information that the directions to the party at the Spanglers, which is happening on Saturday the 16th, yep, is uh, on the backspace. These little directions, you can find them on the backspace. I know. I didn't know. Now I do. Good morning. Mm, are we feeling tired? No? Okay, well, if Heidi's not feeling tired, none of us are feeling tired. Perfect. No, I'm feeling a little bit tired this morning. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. For those of you who don't know me, I am Annie Crawford, and I am on the council here at Pullman Foursquare. I'm also a campus minister with Inner Varsity. I didn't bring this up here on purpose, but I realized it has my logo on it. Um, so I'm branded. But yeah, I worked on it at Lewis Clark State College with college students, and it's super fun. Yeah, exactly. It took me a second to be like, what did you just say? (laughs) Yes, go Warriors. You're correct. Um, So anyways, this morning, I get the immense pleasure of talking to you. Uh, And we are going to talk this morning about how Jesus interacts with us when we are unteachable. uh, And how he invites us to be lifelong learners. And in a town centered around a college, this would be easy for us, right? I'm just kidding. No, it's hard to learn. Actually, my husband this week, Joe, said, I think you should talk about how hard it is to learn. (laughs) I was like, it's true. It's hard to say, yeah, I don't know everything, and I actually need to learn. So I want to tell you a story about um, me and me growing up and a story that I've had to learn, like a thing that that Jesus had to teach me probably a thousand times in my life. But I want to start off uh, telling you about when I was 10. So I don't exactly know what age I actually was, but I chose 10 scanning the room for 10-year-olds. Sorry. Uh, Because 10, you can type on a computer, but you still will probably use that skill to annoy your family. So I chose 10. Um, And so I grew up in a Christian household. My parents loved Jesus, and they really wanted me to love Jesus too. So they signed me up for a class called religious education, which is like, I think what the Catholic version of like youth group is. (laughs) And um, So I was part of religious education, and every Wednesday I went, and I learned about Jesus, and I played with my friends, and we ate snacks, and usually I think if my parent, if I came home and my parents were like, how was it? I would say, they had goldfish today. It was amazing. Um, So I really was getting educated, Um, which I was. I'm just kidding. But uh, there is one, one teaching that stuck with me my whole life, and it centered around four words. That could be compiled in four letters. W-W-J-D. Now, W-W-J-D was a huge deal in the 90s. And what it, what it stands for is, what would Jesus do? And it was this movement of people. And obviously, people have been asking, what would Jesus do since Jesus? But it was, W-W-J-D was a movement of people going to any situation and asking, what would Jesus do before making a decision? So your mom asks you for help. What would Jesus do? You probably help. Um, you get angry at your best friend during recess. What would Jesus do? You're nice to her during recess. 
Um, so the most generous assumption was that my religious ed teacher was trying to help us take a look at our decisions um, and hope that they would reflect the goodness of God. Like if we took a second to pause, we would actually take, take a second to be, to make our actions align with Jesus and hopefully in the end be more like Jesus. Um, I gotta say, that's not exactly how it went down for me. Yeah, didn't work exactly that way. I really took those four letters and I ran with them. And 10-year-old me was excited to finally have a morally guiding acronym to always decide who was right and who was wrong, who was to blame, and I had a quick comeback for anyone doing anything that even remotely annoyed me. So I actually... um, I remember this time when this girl, I was in a fight. She's like my god sister. I was in a fight with her, and we were screaming at each other. And I said, um, what would Jesus do? And she was like, I don't care. <laughs> it broke me because um, I felt like I had finally been taught how to be perfect. I could use this acronym and just, like, use it on anything blindly. Like, right, wrong. Um, but actually... Uh, it, it went even further than that. I had a, I had a low point in my WJD days. Uh, at my WWJD worst, I used a computer to sabotage my family. I sat down on the computer and I said, you know what my family needs? A constant reminder to think about what Jesus would do. <clears throat> and so I printed out all these copies, what would Jesus do? And I hung them up in the hallway, in the bathroom. And like, maybe you're like, oh, that's kind of cute. No, it wasn't cute. I was saying to my family, hey, if you could just um, do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, okay, so then the WWJD movement of Annie Kornberg, now Crawford, persisted. And it ended with me thinking, you know, my signs aren't working. They need to get better. I need to go further. So I started thinking about my family, and I thought, yeah, I know what to do. I sat down on my computer, and I typed, would Jesus watch that? And I hung it above the television. I typed up, would Jesus say that? And I put it next to my mom's stuff. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Um, And then I typed up, would, this is my lowest, would Jesus eat that? (laughs) And I hung it on the microwave. (laughs) Oh, man. And I think my parents thought it was cute at first that I was helping with the dishes and that I was, like, wearing a WWJD friendship bracelet. And then it was not so cute when I was shaming them for reheating leftovers for the third time. Not a cute moment for me. Um, And what turned out to, like, this started at this really good thing. It's good to consider what Jesus would do. Ended for me as actually creating distance between me and God and distance between me and my family. I ended up being a total tyrant who was like not closer to God and not closer to my family afterwards. Um, WWJD was meant to be a relationship with God, and it turned into a list of rules um, that actually made me farther from God. And so it's no wonder that by the end of middle school, um, WWJD had become so intense that I actually didn't have a relationship with God anymore. Um, And then in early high school, I decided that God was too hard to please. I actually thought about, like, man, this guy is, like, demanding, and he wants me to do the right thing all the time, and I felt like God always shamed me when I didn't do the right thing. So I was never going to be good enough for God, and I was done trying, so I gave up. 
And in high school, I started calling myself agnostic. And it actually wasn't until college where I learned the truth about God and that the list of empty rules was not his design, but mine. God wanted a relationship with me. God wanted to give me grace. But I wanted to do everything right. And God never expected that from me. So once I learned that God actually wanted a relationship over ritual or rules, um, I started to have a real relationship with God. And I have been, albeit painstakingly, throwing away my empty rules for the last nine years. Uh, in exchange for God's guidance and God's love. So, like I said, we're going to talk this morning about how Jesus interacts with us when we are unteachable. And I want you all to know I have been so unteachable in my life, and there's still hope for me. It's great. Um, and so let's dive into to Scripture and to what Jesus actually, actually says about this. But I want to start by explaining to you um, this group called the Pharisees. So, you might have heard of them before. They are uh, a group of people really obsessed with rules. And I am convinced, I'm just going to be really real with you all. Pharisees, if you've hung out with Christians for a while, like Pharisees are not like people. I'm going to be real. I think if I was born back then, it would be really hard for me not to be like them. Because I love rules, right? I just want to get it all right. And they, they were like that. They were highly educated people who were well-versed in the old laws. And um, their, their old laws were actually designed for closeness with with God, but it wasn't happening that way. What was actually happening is they were um, kind of becoming like me at WWJD, only more intense. They were like shaming other people for not getting the rules right and making them really hard to follow. They, they lost their intention of actually being close to God. They were just being cl- quick to judge and um, following empty rules, which is why when Jesus came along and started shaking things up and even breaking the rules, they became confused and angry. And they were even more angry when this rule breaker claimed to be the Messiah. So we're going to start today in Mark 2, verse 18. If you want to, you can open your Bibles with me. I am going to read NIV because that's what I have in my notes, but it's pretty much the same. So Mark 2, verse 18. But while you, while you get there, I'm going to tell you about the beginning of Mark. So when Jesus arrives on the scene in Mark, he proclaims, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And what is meant by that is that um, Jesus is bringing a new kingdom, a new thing, and there is a new king in their midst, and that is Jesus. So he starts to heal people, not only physically, but spiritually. He starts to forgive sins, and he teach people how to live in this new kingdom. Um, because the invitation that Jesus gave was to repent and believe in the new kingdom. And repent means to turn away from something old and turn to something new, turn a new direction. But that proclamation, repent and believe in this new kingdom, doesn't sit well with the rule and control loving Pharisees. So they start to challenge him. They ask, "Um, who do you think you are to forgive and heal? That's not, that's not in the rules. Why are you eating with all those rule breakers? I don't understand. And each time Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees, he gives them an invitation to him and this new kingdom. He doesn't leave them and say, like, you guys don't get it. I'm out. He gives them an invitation. He says things like, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners, in hopes that they could open themselves up to a new way of doing life, to open themselves up to being teachable. But... um, yeah, we'll see today that that's not 
exactly how it goes down. So here's our passage today. Mark 2, verse 18. Perfect. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So, Jesus is questioned. Why aren't your disciples fasting like everybody else? And he gives them an explanation and an invitation. The explanation is, why would you fast when we're celebrating? Fasting is uh, supposed to make you dependent on God. But the be- Jesus is saying the best way to be close to God right now is to be with me. Instead of fasting, I want you to feast like you were at a wedding. He's saying um, that there's a new way. And in order to figure out how to do it, you have to follow me. And uh, Jesus also shares a parable with them. He says um, the thing about the new wineskins and the old cloth. And every time I read this with my students, it's like seriously confusing because a lot of us don't sew and a lot of us have, except Curtis, have, Curtis, there he is, uh, have no idea about wine and wineskins. So I'm going to tell you about it. So Jesus talks about this cloth, and if you have ever sewn anything, you know that a new piece of garment needs to be washed before it is sewn onto an old piece of garment, because when a new piece of garment is um, washed, it will shrink. So that one's a little bit easier for us to understand. The new piece of garment sewed to the old piece of garment, if it's washed, will tear away and cause a bigger rip, and it will be unusable. The next is the wine, and this morning I learned that when wine um, is considered wine, it's already fermented, but our guess, I'm roping you into this with me, Curtis, is that uh, pouring wine into animal skins was actually part of the process back then of fermentation. So as wine ferments and becomes wine and then ages, it like expands and bubbles, and what you need is actually new wineskin. Uh, and wineskin was made out of animal, animals back then, you would need new wineskin that was able to expand and to be malleable and to be flexible. But if you had an old wineskin, one that was already stretched, then if you put new wine into it and it expanded and it, like, bubbled, it would break the wineskin and everything would be lost. So that's your science history lesson for the morning. So now that we know what Jesus is saying, we can try to take a look at what he might mean. And when I look at this text, I actually notice this comparison of old and new because old is mentioned three times and new is mentioned four times. So that, that points to us that Jesus must be saying something about the old and new here. So I think that Jesus is trying to tell them with these two metaphors, with this parable, that the old and the new are incompatible. This new thing is among them. Like we were talking about in Mark 1, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus is announcing and bringing this new kingdom that necessitates a new way of life. And he's asking them to follow him as a new king. 
And because we also know the end of the story, we know that that new thing he's inviting them into is that he is going to die for them so that they may have life. This, these are part of the new things that Jesus is asking them to do. But he's also saying these new things won't mix with the old things. If you try to put this new kingdom into your old kingdom, it will tear away. If you try to put this new wine into your old wine, into your old wine skin, it will burst and you will lose it all. The only way to exist in the new kingdom is to learn new ways. Because, like I said before, the truth about the old ways that the Pharisees were um, following was that they were crusty, they were worn out, they were stretched. They had already gone to their point and lost all of the, like, the ability to change and, and be flexible. Um, I could really go on probably a tangent here, but I'll just say this. The old things that the Pharisees are following are not necessarily bad. They were intended to bring people closer to God. But they have stretched to their point. And what Jesus is actually doing, this is, uh, bear with me here, he's actually restoring the old ways to new. So he's making really old things that are supposed to make you close to God that are actually not working anymore. He's making them new. So this new thing that he is presenting, he's actually presenting restoration. But this doesn't sit well with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are really frustrated by this because they're like, no, we already understand. We know how to do the old thing, and it's working for us, okay? It's working for us, Jesus. And it's kind of like how the WWJD thing started off really good for me, and by the end, I probably would have been like, no, it's working. My family is not reheating leftovers anymore. But in the end, it's not actually making me closer to God or to other people. Um. Yeah, so Jesus is saying, you need a new life. And the Pharisees push up against that because the, the life that they have is working for them. And often I've heard people say that he's giving the Pharisees a choice. Do you want to choose your new ways or do you want to choose the old ways? And I want to push back a little because I don't know if he's saying that. I do think Jesus gives us a choice. I think Jesus gives us a choice to whether we want to follow him or not. But I think that in this picture, Jesus is actually painting a new reality for them. He's actually saying... This new thing is here. I am the Messiah. I am the new king. It's upon you. If you do not choose the new, you will burst. And I think he's saying to them, I don't want you to burst. I want you to live with me. I want you to be ready for this wild, big, beautiful new thing that God has for you. So repent and turn away from the old and turn towards new wine. And for the Pharisees, that would have meant setting aside their control and rigid rule following to go wherever Jesus is going. But they basically say, um, no, Jesus, we don't want that. Surely, even if, if you are claiming to the, be the Messiah and you are breaking rules, I bet you're not even the Messiah. That's what they say to him. The, the Messiah wouldn't, would follow our rules. The Messiah would tell me I'm doing a good job. The Messiah would congratulate me that I've kept the rules for so long. So the Pharisees are, are blindsided, and, and they actually say no to Jesus' invitation to, to have a new life. They say, no, we, we, we don't want to have this new way. We don't want to have new wineskin. And by Mark 3, um, Mark writes, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot, against the, plot with the Herodians about how they might kill Jesus. So because they were unable to learn a new way, 
they decided to plan to kill Jesus. Could this be the bursting of the Pharisees? The new wine is among them, and because they were so unchangeable and unteachable and stuck in the old ways, they plan to kill the person they were waiting for. And even though they were trying to please God and to do it all right, in the face of the new thing God was doing, they burst. And so I think it's important for us to ask this morning, how do we avoid a similar fate? How do we avoid loving our old ways and what we already know to the point where we burst? I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Uh, even, even though my old wineskin of loving rules over relationship burst, and then uh, it took me basically picking, um, it took me basically relearning who Jesus was to form a new wineskin. I sometimes seriously want my WWJD days back. It was very easy to just be like categorically right and categorically wrong. That was like an easy lifestyle because I didn't need to have a relationship with God. I felt like um, I was on the right path. I felt like I was under control. And actually, I learned through um, coming to Jesus in college, I learned that it's actually a lot harder to submit yourself to God and say, actually, I don't know. Actually, I need grace. And actually, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I found that um, Jesus is always offering this new wine to us. That there's no amount of bursting that could be, what's the metaphor I use here? Permanently burst. (laughs) Like that Jesus is always offering this new wine to you. But you need to say yes. You have to say, yeah, I'm willing to say I, I don't know everything. I'm willing to give up my old ways for your new ways, Jesus. And I want to make a disclaimer because I actually think that um, all this talk of me and rules and stuff could give you a weird picture of God. You could be like, oh, when I follow God, there aren't rules. That's cool. Um, And that's not really true because I don't want to paint a wrong picture of God, especially if you're someone who's just looking into following Jesus or just starting to. Um, I want you to know that in a life with Jesus, you can expect correction, you can expect adaptation, you can expect Jesus to come into your life and say, hey, actually, this, this thing right here, this could be better, and let's work on changing it. And in Hebrews 12, it actually says that being disciplined and corrected and taught by God is how we know we are actually God's kids. So what I am saying, though, is that we can use a list of rules, we can use our old ways to say to God, look, I'm done, you don't have to teach me, I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, We can try to evade the slow work of being taught and being disciplined by God and letting others be taught and disciplined by God and replace it with hollow rules. So I want to get practical. I want to get real. Um, And that, like, takes us going to a place with Jesus that might be uncomfortable, but I want you, even for the next five minutes, to choose him. Um, One of my old wineskins was choosing rules over relationships, but old wineskins could be anything that keeps us from being teachable and from surrendering to God and that keep us from taking the posture of a learner. And I think that if we want to have fresh wineskins for um, fresh wine, then we need to do the hard work of looking inward. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what are the areas of your life that you feel inflexible with God? Where are you like the Pharisees saying, surely Jesus agrees with me? 
Is there some place in your life where you don't want Jesus to teach you? So I want you to consider those questions, so I'm going to read them again. Okay? Because I know my own attention span. Okay. What area of your life do you feel inflexible with God? Where are you like the Pharisees, saying, surely Jesus would agree with me? Or is there some place in your life where you don't want Jesus to teach you or to change you? So you already heard the way that loving rules over relationship has made uh, being taught by Jesus very hard for me. But um, I think that there are other wineskins in my life that I'm facing even now. Even now that I'm like working for a Christian ministry, even now that I've been doing this thing for nine years. I see the ways inside of me that I don't want to be taught about grief. That I don't want to be taught about sticking through a hard thing with a friend when I don't have the answer for them. Sometimes I honestly don't even want to be taught anymore about how to follow Jesus because I just want to, does anyone do this? They're like, I just want to be done. I want to be done learning. Because life with God is about, is in, you endure a lot of changes. You endure a lot of almost like tilling of your, your soul soil, right? And sometimes it's exhausting. But my encouragement to you is that when we give up our old wineskins, we give up the parts of us that are inflexible, unchangeable, and unteachable. We open ourselves up to follow Jesus more fully. And in nine years of really, really doing that, all that I know for sure about Jesus is that following more fully leads to life and freedom and restoration. Even if I don't know what's on the other side of saying yes, every time I've said yes, it has led to life, restoration, and freedom. And what I know about myself now is I truly, really, really want to follow Jesus fully. And the only way I see we are able to do that, to hold on to the new wine that Jesus has for us, is to become learners. We don't get to control the wine, the kingdom of God, and Jesus' new ways. We only have a choice over what we put it in. We need to understand that if we want to hold this new wine treasure, we cannot be unchangeable, stuck, and unteachable. We need to be ready to say yes to God, and yes to God teaching us a new thing whenever and however God wants to. We need to choose a relationship with God. So in an effort to choose a posture of learners, I have uh, compiled three ways to do that because I really love a practical, like something you could put on your calendar, <laughs> you know, to work on this with Jesus, to work on being a learner. So I, I made three. I'm sure there's a million, um, but I'm going to explain these three to you. So the first is humble ourselves enough to listen. I think if we want to be learners, we have to admit there's still room to grow. Even if we've been doing the Jesus thing for 80 years, we need to understand that we are never too fancy and never too smart to listen to God and to read God's word. As unfortunate as it is for people like me, this side of heaven, God will never, I can promise you this, never educate us to the point where we no longer need God. That will never happen. <laughs> no matter, how, we could read the Bible a thousand times over, and I think that, jo that Jesus would still have something to teach us. So I think we need to uh, humble ourselves enough to listen. One practical way you could do that this week is taking two minutes of silence each day to listen to God. Another practical way you could do this 
and this one's hard, you could ask a friend, hey, how do you see me as unteachable? What parts of me are unteachable? Okay, I admit, kind of scary, kind of risky, but on the other side, we know is restoration freedom in life. So humble ourselves enough to listen. Maybe even ask a friend and listen to them. The second is admit we will never know it all. God is more vast and more mysterious than we can comprehend as humans. And that is actually by design. C.S. Lewis has this quote that I had the hardest time finding, so I'm just going to summarize it for you. It's something like, if we could ever fully understand God, God wouldn't be God anymore. The fact that we cannot fully understand God is in the design of who God is. So, we need to admit that life with God will always be kind of mysterious, that we will never know it all. And once we do that, we can be closer and more dependent on God. And doing that, admitting we will never know it all, will also make us closer to our neighbor. Because when we always admit there are things in this world we don't know, we can love someone who is in the midst of not knowing. So one practical way you could do this is maybe this this means reading the same passage each day this week and expecting God to show you a new thing every day. So the same one. Some of you are like, ugh, boring. No, cool. It could be cool. God will have something new to show you every day. I know because I've read Acts 2 like 90 times with my students, and it's good every time. Anyways, okay. The third is committing to growing and not knowing. This one is uncomfortable, uh, as they kind of all are. But uh, instead of chasing after a pursuit of, of knowledge and rightness and perfection, submit ourselves to the grace of God. Um, yes, we will know more about God throughout our lives. I hope that is true for us. I hope that we continue to grow in knowledge about who God is and how God has worked in our lives. But if we commit to growth for growth's sakes, instead of knowing to be right and better than everyone else, it'll probably be good for our soul. So I challenge us to seek after knowing God better, after understanding that we might be instructed to do different things in different seasons. And the only way we will truly know what to do And who God is, when to fast and when to eat, is to be with the bridegroom, to be with Jesus, and to choose to grow. So, also a challenge, practical. Maybe this means admitting when you don't know something in a conversation this week. I mean, it could be spiritual or not. It could be, hey, Heidi, have you seen that movie? And she's like, no. (laughs) I'm not even going to (laughs) pretend. Admitting when we don't know something actually does the other two steps. It commits us to growing, and it helps to humble us. So I believe for every single person in this room that there is new wine that God wants to give you today, and I think accepting it and keeping it safe will only happen when we are able to be learners with God. And so what I want to do to end is I want the worship team to come up and sing new wine again, and I want this to be our prayer. In that song, there's so much. I mean, it starts with in the crushing, in the pressing, which could be depressing or it could be amazing that God would take our old wineskins, crush them, and say, here's a new one. Amazing. So praying and, and worshiping, you can ask God, God, how can I be more teachable, flexible, and changeable to hold on to your new wine today? Mm-hmm.
feel like as we were worshiping, Jesus was saying, I, I felt like Jesus was saying to me, my new wine is here and I don't want you to burst. I want you to taste it. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so this morning, if you are like, man, me neither. <laughs> okay, Jesus, I have resisted your teaching. I have resisted being changeable to you in some way, big or small. I want you just to open your hands and I want to pray with you and for you because I'm right there with you this morning. Jesus, we come before you and we confess the ways that sometimes it is hard to say yes to the new thing you have for us. It's scary. It's difficult. We want to be Sometimes, Jesus, we see it easier to be like the Pharisees and say, no, my way is working. My way is okay. And we don't want that anymore, Jesus. We want what you have for us. We want what you have for us in every aspect of our lives. We want a relationship with you. We want your new wine, Jesus. And I pray that you teach us You teach us to follow you. You teach us after to seek after knowing you better and knowing you more and loving our neighbor. God, we admit, we come before you and admit that we don't know everything. And that this is the posture with which we want to follow you. Our real human selves who really, really need you. So Jesus, would you come and would you teach us? Even today, even in this moment, would you teach us however we need to be taught? And we open ourselves up to that wild ride with you, Jesus. Pray a blessing over these people. Pray that they would go and know that they are so loved. We are so loved by you, God. That you don't give us this message to be daunting or to be scary, but instead to be loving and to say the new thing is here and I don't want you to burst. I want you to live. I came so that you would have life in the fullest. So Jesus, would we leave knowing that we are deeply, deeply loved by you and that we are safe with you? Amen. I think we learn best in community, so my plug is that if you're not plugged into a small group or to somewhere to learn, or for somewhere to learn more about what Jesus is doing in your life and in the community and what who Jesus even is, that might be your yes today. Doing this crazy life with Jesus with other people. 
So go and know that Heidi and Jamie love you. (laughs) And I do too, and so does God. Amen.